This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Corey Poirier. Excited to be back with the latest in our interview edition series. And so excited to have a first-time guest uh, with us. And so, Ann Oikel, so excited to have you here. And we're a little bit different here than other shows. We don't uh, technically read a bio or anything like that. We should get the guest to tell us just a little bit about themselves. And then, of course, we're going to dive in much deeper anyway, so it doesn't matter how deep you go. Uh, But, Anne, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are or your background, and then we'll dive in much deeper? For sure. I come from the industrial world. (laughs) So my parents, I grew up in a small town, Nova Scotia, Um, not even town, country, (laughs) backwoods. And uh, we uh, are like both my parents, actually, they, they quit school in grade eight. So I grew up in a household where everybody was preached, go out, get a good education, get a good job. So I got out, went to community college, hated the topic I took, which was accounting. <laughs> I had a strong math in uh, school. So they kind of geared me towards accounting because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I absolutely hated it. I hate numbers. I hate the detail of accounting. And I ended up getting into the wonderful world of industrial sales. So back in the day, very male dominated, not a bad thing, (laughs) but a lot of male influence and a lot of male um, people that guided me, coached me, you name it. I had a lot of male influence. I am the youngest of four boys. (laughs) So male influence was in my life all through. And uh, from there, like I literally, I had two brothers when I was younger, they passed away when I was young. So um, they had a hereditary disease. And then my mom passed when I was 23. So to avoid all of the drama and everything that goes on, having a key member pass away, I became a workaholic. (laughs) And I buried myself in work and I shut down anything and everything that I could not function up here. This became control. So I became literally, instead of alcohol or drugs being an addiction, it was literally control, OCD, power of control. So that was my addiction. And it wasn't until the last probably two and a half, three years that I've been shifting and changing all of that. So no matter how much we try to suppress <laughs> the spirit or whatever you want to call it, it will it's always tapping at your door and always trying to bring you back. And it's been tapping at my door for years and I've been suppressing it for years because it's not something I could control. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's me in a nutshell. So the last two years has been a huge journey for me, for sure, in getting me to where I am today. So I'm Reiki level three certified. And uh, I literally just in January started promoting my own business with a product called ASEA, which is redox molecule. 
Um, it's, it's a supplement that you take internally. They have a topical gel um, to help you heal on the surface. And so I promote that product because it kind of goes hand and fist with everything else I've been doing. So the Reiki level three, I do a lot of, you know, space clearing, energy clearing, that sort of stuff. So my portfolio is growing as we speak. <laughs> of course, I signed up for your speaking course because now I want to get into speaking. <laughs> Amazing. Well, and, and I love that um, you talked about, quote unquote, uh, you know, your addiction and, and most people wouldn't be, uh, you know, so open to share that. So I, I thank you uh, for, yeah. you know, being vulnerable enough to share that. Well, most people don't realize that some of our regular functioning behaviors can be addictions just as much as drugs or alcohol. Absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, not that's as good or bad. My, my girlfriend, which I've shared in the show before, uh, is seven years sober and she's very proud of that. And, um, you know, she struggled with addictions for years. My uh, mother is a former alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic and my grandfather was an alcoholic. So when I say this, I'm not certainly making light of any addictions, but I will say uh, it is interesting how those are the kind of the two addictions that most people like alcohol or drugs think of as addictions, maybe oh, yeah. to uh, maybe to a larger extent smoking. Mm -hmm. And now more so people are starting to accept that eating is an addiction. You know, right. you can have an eating addiction, but beyond that, like for, for example, it's funny how uh, even workaholic, we don't mm -hmm. even say that's an addiction. We, we call it a workaholic and say, oh, you work too much or this or that, or you're going to, you know, at the deathbed, you're not going to wish you work more. But most people don't say you can be as addicted to work as anything else. Yeah, for sure. And that adrenaline that you get from oh, being at work or get addicted to email, you know, when any, every time it dings and go, oh, yay. And I got another media. Yeah, social media. And I mean, I, I believe this to be true, but they talk often now about how you get sort of little shots of dopamine or endorphins and the natural, uh, we'll call it the natural drug, whenever the social media, when you get another like or whenever you get another ding on your email or an email comes in. And so I, I'm just glad you went there because again, I don't think there's enough, um, I don't think people put enough uh, attention on that. And when that happens, then, you know, these, it, it gets hard to address it or or, you know, help people with it. 100%. And society has created those labels. So anything outside of that, it's like, well, that's not the same. And it's like, it still controls you every waking minute. <laughs> yeah, it's, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, for me, um, I guess, you know, whenever I uh, look at my life, you know, I would openly say that I have been addicted to uh, work and I will say too, I, I mean, I smoked for years, uh, but I have been addicted to, and I quit, you know, after whatever, 10, eight years. And then I, I was that workaholic that was constantly, you know, working 70, 80 hours a week. And we just talked, um, you know, off air about me having kids and, uh, and, you know, that's in a lot of ways, maybe it was even by default, not design, but that's in a lot of ways how that changed. Like, so that's now there's a lot of weeks I'm working 35 hours a week, yeah. you know, and, that's and that what was pulled me out of that work, uh, that, that addiction to work. That's what pulled me out of that hundred percent. Cause I was like, you know what, I'm, I now have another human being that I'm responsible for. And that became the priority instead of work. And, and I think that, I mean, I, I imagine that's happened for a lot of people, you know, whenever it's funny, uh, whenever I quit smoking years ago, I mean, I quit cold Turkey and, I've heard people say for certain people, quitting smoking is as hard as quitting heroin. Like smoking is a, a fairly heavy 
uh, addiction. And whenever I quit, uh, I recognized that I had just started my own business. And I always made the joke, which there was, it was true, but I used that as a joke about the fact that I actually, the only reason I quit is because I couldn't afford to buy cigarettes anymore because I was now an entrepreneur. But, yeah. but the other side was I had found this thing that kind of replaced it, a positive habit, which was now I was starting to build this business. I was passionate about it. I'm like, I don't have time <clears throat> to be going out for smoke breaks every 40 minutes. And then I, because it was my own business, I thought, those smoke breaks are costing me money. I'm, I'm, I'm ripping myself off at, during work hours, yeah. you know, that type of thing. But it, and it was, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was a double-edged sword and it wasn't easy. Uh, but I bring that up, you know, before, before I move on from this, but just to say that I find that it is true what they say, that if you're going to replace an addiction or if you're going to get rid of an addiction or a habit, usually you have to replace it with something else. You do. Like even a positive thing that, and maybe not even a, a habit or an addiction, like you could start picking up playing guitar. And doing that with your fingers could be right. what takes you away from smoking, for example. Yeah. So anyway, that was a long rabbit hole about, about uh, addictions, but I just was glad you went there. So Anne, um, tell us about, you know, you said that obviously you're into Reiki as well. I have a great appreciation for Reiki. Uh, my girlfriend's a Reiki master as well. And um, I guess my first question I would have around that is what pulled you into Reiki? Like what was the, the catalyst? That's kind of a funny story. So. <laughs> Again, I was just literally, I was just starting on this whole journey of, I guess you call it spirituality. Um, I lost faith back when my mom passed away because they always say the Lord is never going to give you more than you can handle. Well, I felt I was snapping. Like I felt this is way more than I can bear. So what the hell? <laughs> so I literally, that's where I, that's where I lost faith in so-called God. Um and not that we were heavy religious people, we we had faith. I had two brothers that passed away. My grandmother went to church on a regular basis. They went to church on a regular basis. Our minister at the time was awesome. Like there was times when the boys couldn't go to church. So Mike wanted to get confirmed. So the minister came to the house and did that. So yeah, <laughs> he wow. was awesome. He was the epitome of a true spiritual religious man. Um, but uh, yeah, they... Uh, so I was around not negative religion. I just got to a point where it was like, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> like there was so much stuff going on and nobody could answer those questions. So it's like, okay, I'm taking back my control, my power. So that's when I became the control freak. So for me, it was probably about two years ago. Um, I started to reconnect and started <laughs> on a spiritual journey, I literally started with meditation because I could not slow my mind down long enough and breathing exercises, like I had no clue. Um, and little did I know, I had, I had taken karate, I got my black belt, but that was a form of moving meditation. And there's, I didn't even realize it because when you go to karate, you are so focused on what's going on in that class that the outside world doesn't exist. Just those four walls and everything you're focusing on and when you do kata, it is so smooth, like you've got power moves and you've got soft, slow moves and you got to learn to breathe. Otherwise, you turn beat red and pass out. <laughs> so that started me on this journey. And then that turned into more of a learning to meditate outside of that. So not realizing that that could be a form of meditation, I started to try to meditate <laughs> And when I tried to meditate, it's hard to turn a brain off that doesn't stop. So 
I had to go to guided meditation. So I literally started Googling meditations online to see what I could find that resonated with me. So I found like frequency music was good in some ways. Um, Joe Dispenza's meditation. So those types of guided meditation really rung true me and you're learning while you're doing it. So <laughs> my, brain, my brain could still go, but yet learn to calm. So when I finally started learning to calm my brain, I started seeing these brilliant like colors that I can't even imagine or describe on this earth. Like they were so rich and brilliant and more in the blues and purples, but any reds, orange, yellows, like any color came in was very, very rich. And uh, I had people say to me like, that's incredible that you can do that so early on. And I'm like, that's normal. <laughs> Am I supposed to see that? <laughs> so everything new. Um, and then I met Roz. I went to a weekend retreat and I met Roz and Fung and she looked at me and said, you should take Reiki. And I'm like, what's Reiki? <laughs> I have no idea. And why she, should I take it? Yeah. So she literally got me in contact with Trish Bowie, who was her trainer. And I, I had a, a discovery call with Trish and she's like, why do you want to take Reiki? I said, I have no idea. I even want to take Reiki. I don't know what it is. <laughs> And she said to me, she's like, do you trust? And I said, trust in what? Like, I, you need to elaborate. I don't understand. <laughs> what are you asking me to trust? And she's like, do you just trust? And I was like, not getting it. Like, if I can see it, taste it, touch it, you know, if it's tangible, then yeah, I trust. Because <laughs> I'd spent so many years up in here. And she said, well, did you ever have things happen that you knew were going to happen? Yep. <laughs> Way back when. <laughs> And, and then she started questioning me on those types of questions. And then I started to think, and I was like, oh, my sweet God, <laughs> we had so much of that growing up. It was insane. Like we were so dialed into that stuff growing up and my parents were too, but they didn't know what it was. They didn't know how to label it and they didn't know how to nourish it. But even right down to my, to my brother's passing, my mother could smell death. And I, yeah, it's <laughs> the reaction I get when I tell people that. She, one of the boys, I, I want to say it was Mike, I can't remember, but one of the boys when they were like, they were in their final few days and she started to get this strong smell in the hospital room. And even my older brother, Jim could smell it a little bit, but nobody could, nobody else could smell it. And it was so strong for her. She could barely stay in the room. She could barely stay in the room. And I remember her telling this story for years and she's like, the smell was so strong. I couldn't, like, it was suffocating for me to stay in the room but she didn't want to leave she knew that they were, they were in their final hours and uh yeah she could literally that was my description of her smelling death so we had these abilities or gifts whatever you want to call them for years and after she passed I suppressed all mine <laughs> literally like threw them in down the toilet and hit flush several times <laughs> and when talking to Trish she got me thinking I was like yeah I remember all that and uh, so I, I took Reiki, like she really got me thinking and got me intrigued. So I took level one and two with her. And then a few months later, I signed up for level three. <laughs> and it's been a journey ever since because Reiki doesn't stop at Reiki. Reiki is energy moving all the time. And you learn that even in everyday life, if you're not doing the motions and going through all the symbols and focusing, it's still with you always. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, uh, you kind of described my life in a lot of ways in the sense that I, uh, I, I mean, the best way to describe myself is I always said I'm a spiritual skeptic yeah. and, and now I'm less skeptical, <laughs> you know? So like I've, I've, I've 
grown to become less skeptical. Like I, um, I started working with uh, somebody who wrote the book on it, on synchronicity. So uh, the Celestine Prophecy, uh, written by James Redfield. And, excuse me. And um, from that point till now, the amount of synchronicities that have happened in my life, like I even write it, I have a journal here. I don't know if it's, it's over here somewhere. I have a journal here that uh, I write down every synchronicity that happens. And, you know, some days I'm writing three times a day. I mean, which is crazy. And we're not talking, not that there's anything wrong with this, with the number thing, like people saying, oh, it's 11-11. But I always feel, you know, that happens twice a day. So the odds are higher you're going to notice that number. But I'm talking like big synchronicities, like where uh, I had one, for instance, where I was supposed to interview somebody. They canceled after they gave me the wrong address and sent me in the wrong direction. And so I kind of just said, okay, I'm just going to go to the beach today. And then I got a message almost right after the university decided I wasn't going to go to the beach. Long story short is that a friend reached out and said, hey, Corey, aren't you? And it was in Miami. Aren't you in Miami today? I said, yeah. And she said, um, remember that guy I wanted you to interview? Well, he's from Miami originally. Well, he just moved back. I thought he was still in Toronto. Are you available today? Because I'd love to have you interview him for the project you're doing. And I said, yeah, actually, the afternoon just got opened up. And she said, well, let me reach out to him. And he came back and said, you're not going to believe this. I had three appointments today that got rescheduled in the last two days. He said, my afternoon's open. And so we went and did the interview. It was like four hours, uh, two hours um, interview, two hours just hanging out, chatting. And then uh, he said, who else do you want for this project? And I said, I don't have any, you know, wish list, but I said, if you think of somebody, because I didn't want to abuse the relationship with somebody I just met. But I said, if you think of somebody, send me a message. And by the time I got back to my hotel, I had a text from him saying, how about Les Brown and Bob Proctor? <laughs> and those interviews happened because of that. So what I'm getting at, Ann, if you think of that whole thing down the rabbit hole, if that first interview would have happened, none of the rest would have. And to me, that's a powerful synchronicity. The universe directed me and I had to be open for it. But why I brought that up is that's one random story. I'm writing down two or three of those a day. Right. You know, it gets hard at some point for me, even as a skeptic to argue that. So I know. <laughs> so, yeah. So I get it. Like, so when you were kind of awakened to this and yeah, you should try this and you're like, what does this even mean? I get it because I was there. So uh, since that time, and I mean, I don't, I don't think it sounds like it was a huge, like a, a long, long time ago, but since that time, have you become a lot more open to the possibilities oh and what's, you know, what's happening? I feel, you know? I feel like I'm still this big. <laughs> Like it, it doesn't stop. Like more and more is opening up. Like literally from that time on it, the doors, the floodgates are constantly opening. Um, there's times they're not opening fast enough. And then there's times they're opening so fast. It's like, oh my God, it's got to slow down a little bit. <laughs> so it does, it, it gets overwhelming sometimes because you're right. The synchronicities, they happen more and more and more and more. Um, right down to me meeting you. Like <laughs> I literally, because I follow Roz and when she posted the speaking boot camp, I was like, oh my God, I remember back in the day I did financial services for a little while and they threw me on stage, like not prepped, nothing, almost like your story that you tell when you were, <laughs> you were thrown on the comedian stage and the mic didn't work. Well, I was thrown on stage to motivate these people because of what I'd gone through with my own personal experience with life insurance and not having enough. And that made me angry. So they threw me on stage because I had passion. <laughs> and like they, I didn't know what I was doing, but they loved having me on stage because whenever I spoke, they signed up more and more people. And I was like, okay, give me the mic. <laughs> but I love doing that. And that's when I seen Raw's post about the boot camp, even with you. Um, I was like, oh my God, I forgot about that. Because everybody says, follow your passion. I'm like, well, I don't know my passion. Is. I suppressed that shit so many, so many years ago. <laughs> 
know how to dig that up. I'm like, what do you like when you're a kid? I don't know. I don't remember my childhood. So it, it's hard to figure out what you're passionate about when you're so in that lane of doing industrial work pretty much my entire life. I broke off and like I said, I did some financial services and real estate, but uh, for the most part, I've worked in the industrial world. So it's hard to break that thing when somebody's saying, well, what are you really passionate about? I'm like, I don't know. And then when Roz posted about the boot camp, I was like, I really enjoyed speaking when I was on stage. So I was like, maybe that's the route that needs to fall into this as well. Cause it's like everything that I'm doing, I know this is just the beginning stages. I know it can be so much bigger and so much larger, but I don't know what that looks like. And that's where the trust has to come in. And that's where I'm, I'm learning to trust in that things will fall where they are meant to fall. And I have to take steps. Stuff just isn't going to happen because I will it to. <laughs> I have to take steps to make it happen. So, and that's when you fell into my lap through, again, through Roslyn. And then I heard you on stage and I'm like, oh my God, he's a mirror timer. <laughs> Born and raised in Nova Scotia. <laughs> That's, that's awesome. I, I mean, I love that. And I, I, uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I love, first of all, that, uh, you right away said, Oh, a fellow Maritimer, because, you know, that's something that I noticed pretty quickly because you don't see it as often. Like, you know, both of us being, uh, Maritimers know that it's not a common thing, uh, for people to, you know, get out and speak on stages and all that kind of stuff. Um, in the Maritimes, it just doesn't happen as much. And I say that, yeah. you know, just from a perspective of, I used to be a member of one of the speaking associations and all, I would say 60% of the paid um, ongoing paid speakers in the region were part of it. And, you know, I think that was like 50, 60 people, you know, so like we're talking at most, I would say probably hundreds who are actually doing speaking as a full-time career. So it's, it's not as common. And so, yeah, like, so when you're watching a speaker on stage, I think it is fairly, um, rare i'll say that they're from the maritimes not only add that i mean we got the smallest part of the country too right like as far as population. <laughs> so smallest population landmass everything <laughs> but i think uh you know our, our personalities in a lot of cases make up for it you oh know? absolutely <laughs> like i i you Learned know life. yeah well, somebody was uh saying to me the other day they said tell me about newfoundland and i said the best now i i was tell i told the story about me going far up uh north of newfoundland so really like uh, my my friend would call it, uh, a good friend of mine for years would call it for, out around the bay, you know, so right. way far away from St. John's, let's say. And I said, uh, I, I was there for days and I still didn't know what they were saying about me, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> the accent was so thick. They spoke so fast and it was, yeah. And it was, so I said, it's like uh, a lot of people down here say Newfoundland's like its own country. It's even on its own time zone. Like we're, I mean, it is. we're like all three maritime provinces, the main maritime provinces are all in the same time zone. Newfoundland's a half hour ahead. Like, yeah. And who, what other places on the half hour, you know, so, it's, so I just had to add that in. So, but I'm glad you mentioned that, but going back to the speaking for a second, then, Anne, um, since that time, uh, I mean, you decided you want to go down this path since that time, are you still, you know, all in that you want to go into the speaking world? And if so, uh, what do you think really draws you to speaking? Is it the impact you can make this sharing your story, your message? Like, what do you think it is that draws it to you? You know what? It, it's funny you ask that question because for the longest time, I always felt like I could impact people, but I, I didn't feel like I had a story to tell and not realizing that our life, everybody has life. Everybody has a story. And it's like everybody, everything that I've gone through, somebody else has gone through and they're probably feeling the same way. They're probably feeling the same stuff. 
like, don't get me wrong. I love, and I'm thankful for my job, <laughs> but that's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. It pays the bills. I work with great people. Like there, it's an awesome organization. Um, but it took me a while to realize that I'm going to work, coming home, going to work, coming home. Like it's that rat race of going to work, coming home. And it's like, there was that spark. I, th that's one thing, no matter how much I suppressed, I always was missing that spark in life. And there's something about the speaking that ignites that spark. So I think it's a combination of everything that you said. It's a combination of being able to tell a story and impact people. It's being able to motivate people. It's being able to impact people on an emotional level and just hit the masses versus one. Mm -hmm. One to many, as I love that. Yeah. Uh, so, Anne, uh, as we start to wind down, you know, we got to learn a lot about who you are. And I feel like you get to have little life lessons and nuggets when you get a conversation with somebody, you get to learn about who they are, the path they chose. And, and of course, there's never enough time, so I'll call it a to be continued. But having said that, I do have a few more questions. I wanted to ask you, first of all, if you can think in your mind uh, about this, like, I know it's a big question, uh, but what, if you were to think back, is maybe the one or two big uh, pieces of life or life of lessons, life lessons that you've learned. What do you think the one or two biggest ones are? Oh my Lord. Let's take the mind out of it and go straight to the heart. <laughs> okay. That's where it hits. <laughs> um, literally, uh, my biggest life lessons were around my mom passing. So life is never what you think it is. Your perception is everything. It's is key. So it can make you, it can break you. It can do anything you want it to, to you. <laughs> and that was probably my, my biggest lesson. And it took me years to realize that everything that happened, happened for a reason. I wouldn't be where I am today if none of that stuff happened. Um, so the biggest lesson is, because like I say, with mom passing, she was the glue to our family. So that, that left, I already had two brothers that passed. So that left my dad my, and my two older brothers. Um, actually my youngest brother out of the four and, and the oldest brother out of the four. And when she passed, we all just separated because there was so, we didn't know how to grieve. Nobody teaches you how to grieve. There's really not a great book on grieving, especially back then. <laughs> I mean, people have courses and everything out on it now. So at least there's resources. Back then there wasn't a whole lot, especially in the maritimes. Um, so I just suppressed it through work, not realizing that everything I did from that moment on was going to be a huge lesson. So even with my dad, things got rough with my dad. He got into another relationship really quick and God love him. We all understood why he was by himself. Um, but the person he chose did not fit into everything that we were raised to believe. She was, she was everything he protected us from as, as kids. You know, they, they try to teach, every parent tries to teach their kids to be good people, you know, don't lie, don't sneak, don't scheme, don't manipulate, be honest, you know, they try to raise them with all the good values, and dad was very strict with us, God love him, um, <laughs> and so we had very, very strong values, but he, because he didn't know how to grieve himself, the person he chose to get involved with was the total opposite of all of that stuff. So I got, I literally got down to raw, bare bones, like, who am I? I don't even know who I am anymore because even now he's predicting or contradicting everything that he raised us to be. So what is reality? 
like, what is reality? And that's when my older brother sat me down and looked at me and he said, and your reality is what you make it. You can take all the lessons he gave you and everything that he's taught you and you can choose to keep it and make it your own or let it go. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> 100%. So it took, it took me a long time to realize that even with everything that was going on with him through that relationship was a lesson, was perception, was it, like everything that happened, some of it didn't have to happen, but some of it had to happen for me to get to where I am today. Mm, I love it. Well, one of the questions that I often ask everybody, Anne, and you may have already answered it, of course, uh, feel free to add anything onto it as you want, but uh, it might be the, the answer because I asked about life advice and I asked a time machine question often, which is basically, if you could jump into a time machine, go back and talk to the younger Anne and give her some life advice based on what you've learned in the year since, what do you think you might tell her? Do you think that what you just shared there would probably be what you would tell younger Anne? That would be a lot of it. Um, there's so much. My husband and I just had this conversation the other day. It's like, if only we knew now. <laughs> well, what we know now, if we only we could have had it back when we were 20 and 21 years old, starting out on our own and, and getting your feet wet in the world, just even just a fraction of it would be huge. Um, so yeah, that would probably be the biggest life lesson. Like I've I've got a teenage daughter and it's like, you try to give her those lessons, but if they're not ready to receive it and their perception is not ready to accept it, it's not going to happen. So you can't even force it on yourself, no matter what. Um, so yeah, the biggest lesson would be to stay open and stay true and pay attention to the things that you can't touch, taste and feel. And if you have that stuff come to you, pay attention to it. Um, another short story, because yeah. <laughs> I could talk all day too. <laughs> Like I signed up for a mediumship course at the beginning of all this as well. Again, not knowing, just curious as to what it was. And it freaked me out. So I stopped doing it. And it was an online course. So I still have access to it. And this goes back like two, three years ago. And literally like all the, like you say, you talk about the synchronicities and things that you can't touch, taste and feel. Things were starting to happen and I was starting to pay attention to them. And I even had a lady that I work with in this wonderful community <laughs> And she even said to me, don't give that up. And I wanted to say to her why, but I didn't. I was like, I don't really want to know why just yet because I'm not ready to go there. <laughs> well, that is, that's something that's been coming up more and more predominantly lately. So I literally have reopened that course and started doing that again as well. Um, and literally they started what they didn't have back when I first bought it. They started having meetings like this on zoom and I literally did a mediumship reading on a zoom call one night thinking I was just going to do a simple little card reading for somebody she turned it into a mediumship reading and I was I hung up from that and I was stunned the fact that I could tap into information with a complete stranger that I knew nothing about wow to this day it blows my mind that <laughs> I, I mean did it the one time <laughs> it's it's amazing I I I I don't I don't like to ever say I wouldn't be able to, or I can't, because you know I know words have power. But I'll just say, I don't envision myself uh, being able to do that. And maybe it's because I haven't worked the muscle. Like I do believe we all have intuition. I do believe we it's all awesome. have that. Yeah. But I think probably some people have it gifted to them a little more than others. And right. for me, 
I haven't been, but again, I came at a very spiritual skeptic. So maybe it's just that I'm not far enough in my journey yet. Maybe I'll get there. Uh, but so I think that I admire that is what I'm getting at. My mother reads uh, tarot cards and she's in different groups online and she'll do readings and they say, oh my gosh, that's the most accurate reading I've ever had. So maybe my mother has it, but I just don't, uh, I don't practice it is what I'll say. I haven't practiced it. So I, so I admire that. Um, so Anne, another uh, quick question, probably my Second last question, outside of the question of how we can connect with you if we want to, but uh, second la last question is, how do you define success? You know what, that's evolving for me because for the longest time, success was, like I say, I was born and raised to go get a good education, get a good job. That was defined as success. So like Roslyn and a few others that are part of your circle and my circle, we've learned that success is not about tangibility. It's not about income. It's not about things. <laughs> uh, success for me is honestly slowing down and taking the time to turn within and just focus each day, making each day the best day it possibly can be. Um, like I say, coming from uh, an area of constant control, <laughs> that's not a happy place. <laughs> it's not a happy place at all. Um, <laughs> I can imagine but being able to turn that off or turn it down at least because um, that those aspects are still there. I don't know that they'll ever go away, but being able to turn that stuff down and turn within and pay attention of what's going on around you. And, you know, I go to bed every night and I sleep like a log. <laughs> That's my success <laughs> is that I, you know, I'm able to do that. And, uh, you know, success for me is going to change during this whole journey. It's going to change. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to taking off from where I am today and making it grow and expand so that when I start to impact more and more people, that spark is going to ignite and get brighter. And that's going to be my success um, is watching the evolution. Love it. Well, my, my last question is one I haven't asked in a long time. I used to ask it often because our show used to be called Conversations with Passion. So I used to, word, used to use the word passion often. Reason I changed that is because I a lot of people started to turn against the word, like would say, I'm tired of hearing people say, find your passion and you'll never work a day in your life and stuff like that. And I get both kind of arguments to that. My question is, though, what are your thoughts around passion? Like, do you think it's important to find your passion uh, or is it instead purpose that we should be looking for? And again, I think this is all um, opinion, meaning like, I don't think there's a right or wrong in this, but I know there's yeah. some people have strong feelings on it. But what are your thoughts around this idea of finding your passion? You know what? It's funny. Um, you're right. I, I do find people use the word purpose a lot. And I'm always saying I'm trying to find my purpose, trying to find my purpose. <laughs> and the, I'm actually involved with a group back east. Um, again, we meet every every week on Zoom. Um, and again, I got tied in with them back when I first started the spiritual journey about two and a half years ago, like every the synchronicities keep coming. And uh, so I've been working with them every month since. And we've actually started working on a uh, I don't even want to call it a book. Um, it's called the Gene Keys. So everybody, based on your birth date, place, and time of birth, date, everything, you have a set of Gene Keys. And starting to read those Gene Keys, my <laughs> um, Gene Keys are all about purpose, passion, and 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 almost everybody's is, but in different ways. But mine outright uses those words. <laughs> So passion, purpose, I'm still trying to find mine completely. Um, I don't think you're ever going to find it entirely because uh, you're always changing, always evolving, always growing. But I am a very, people 
refer to me as a very passionate individual because I can get wound right up. <laughs> and uh, so I've got a lot of passion, drive and spark within me. Um, what is my passion in life is completely different from what goes on internally. <laughs> so being able to impact people, like I say, long-term with my story, my story is going to change and evolve and things are going to change and grow. Um, you know, my next step after this is even looking at getting into coaching once things start to take off with what I'm currently doing. So I can even see things changing and evolving in the future. And there's going to be things probably 10 years down the road I'll be doing that I never thought I would be just like I'm doing now. If you told me two years ago that I'd be even taking a mediumship course or a speaking course, I would have told you you were crazy. <laughs> well, I, like I said, I get it because I was there too. If you told me I would have been using the word synchronicity 15 years ago, I would have said, oh yeah, yeah, you're, you're, no, you're off your rocker type thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is great because as, as you said, it's like that thing we talked about earlier, but giving the life advice to somebody younger, it doesn't usually resonate because they haven't lived the journey. It's the same thing, you know, Again, we said, no, if somebody told us that even a couple of years ago, we'd say you're crazy. But <clears throat> what I think it does after that happens enough times is you then start to become open to the idea that, you know what, how do I know what's going to be in five or 10 years? It's I'm going to, oh, if I'm flexible, <laughs> I could be a totally different person five years from now. So, and we're so, all living the crazy. Yeah. It's all crazy. <laughs> Everybody Absolutely. will have a crazy story to refer to at some point or another. <laughs> yeah. What's the, there's uh oh, it's a book by, I think it's by Chris Brogan. And I've always loved the title uh, and it reminds me like of the crazies or whatever you want to call term wise. Uh, it's called the freaks shall inherit the earth. Mm -hmm. And I love that. It's just like saying the crazy yeah. will inherit the earth. But I mean, yeah. I like it because it, it starts to make you realize there's, there's nothing wrong with being unique with being yeah. embracing your uh, whatever that is you like Brendan Burchard, if you're familiar with him. Uh, I always said that when you, until if you just saw, watch his stuff online, you think he's like the serious business guy, but when you go see him live, he's like, he says, I think he words it like I embrace my inner dork and he yeah. really comes across as really dorky. Yeah. And, and but I mean, some people say to me, they're like, you're a weirdo. And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and that's, and that's awesome. Right. Like that we can yeah. embrace that now because if it, you know, 50 years ago or whatever in the 1960s or whatever, if somebody said that, like, oh my gosh, that would be like, oh, she's oh, weird. Yeah. Don't go near her, whatever. Now it's yeah. like, oh, that's awesome. Like somebody say, you're a weirdo. And somebody else might overhear that and go, oh, my people, where's my people? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a totally different time, which I love. So is, I think yeah. the weirdo is now becoming the norm, which is, is awesome. Yeah. Like we're embracing it. So, and, and how cool is that? Because again, I think that there's a lot that comes with that. Like the uniqueness that's embracing our uniqueness. It's embracing our individuality. Whereas again, before there was almost this thought of you have to be like everybody else or yeah. you're not, whatever you yeah. want to term that, not being successful, <laughs> not living. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I love that. So uh, thank you for being weird like me, is what I'll say. Uh, so Anne, uh, maybe, maybe that'll be the, the title of this episode, Weird Like Me. Uh, but Anne, uh, last question, uh, maybe the most important one is a very quick one, but if people wanted to somehow connect with you down the road, uh, where would you send them? Like, would you send the Facebook to say hi, or is there a certain hub or where would you send people? Yeah, no, Facebook is probably the best way to get a hold of me right now. Cause I'm still getting stuff set up. Um, so I have my personal page and I also have my business page, which is called dynamic living and that like it's called dynamic living. So Facebook is probably the best way to get a hold of me now through messenger and whatnot. Um, I, like I say, I am still working full time. So, um, 
heading there next <laughs> and onward and upward. But yeah, right now that's probably the best way because I'm still working on a website and all that wonderful stuff. So I, I am like green as green as they come. <laughs> that, that's, that's, I mean, that's awesome. We're getting to have you on here at the start of your journey. And then, you know, five years from now, when we have you back for the whatever amount, like third time or something, um, we'll be able to say, remember when. So we'll be able to reflect on this and have a good laugh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know what, but you know, yeah, if, as far as the interview itself, I'll give you this little plug at the end here is that um, I would never guess that you're so new in your journey. Like as far as if I, if I only heard the interview on the outside in, uh, you're so comfortable. You're so, uh, you know, you're a storyteller. You're, you're comfortable with answering a question uh, longer than just a yes or no. So I think you're already further along in your path than, than many are when they start. Well, you know, it's funny because everybody I talk to, they tell me the same thing. They still feel this small. They still feel like they're at the early stages and the beginning stages. And uh, I literally just had my first Reiki session done on myself other than like by someone else in November. And she told me the same thing. She's like, you're ready. Like you are ready. And I'm like, no, I'm not. She's like, yes, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> And uh, when I told her, you know, how I felt and, it, and the, the burden of the pressure of how you feel you're not ready, it's so heavy. And she's like, I've been doing this for the last however many years. And she said, I still feel that way. I'm like, get out. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, so that I'll give you. Literally I'll give, was the start. That's amazing. Well, and I was going to just say it too, I'll, I'll give you this as well, is it's the same with speaking, right? Like people say, oh, I wish I could be so comfortable on the stage. And, uh, you know, I think you might, you were part of this boot camp. I don't know if you saw the picture or video of me with the sweat coming down and everything on one of my early talks, but it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always comfortable. And to your further point, uh, I still get nervous when I'm doing a talk, like I, the nerves still happen. So, and you know, I'm not alone. You hear that from most speakers is that the butterflies are still there. So the, the cool thing is to know uh, that no matter what stage you're at and whether you feel you're ready or not, even the top speaker ever still gets nervous. Even the top oh, sure. person during an interview still gets nervous. So, uh, so knowing that going in, I think, and the fact that you're already as far along as you are, I think you're, you're in good hands. Awesome. Good Very to know. Cool. <laughs> No, it's absolutely true. And Anne Oikel, thank you so much. Like I said, with your permission, I'll call it a to be continued. Uh, but until that time, we will follow your journey heavily, wave the flag for all the great things you're doing. And as far as your uh, Facebook profile, we'll make sure from this episode, if they're listening, they can uh, see the spelling of your name in the episode to look it up on Facebook, but also we'll make sure in the description to include the link as well. So thank you so much, Anne Oikel, and you uh, have an amazing day at work today. Thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.